Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, staying on weather for a second, a status yellow weather warning has been issued for most of the country. Now it's for tomorrow and uh, downpours and spot flooding are unfortunately on the way. Uh, All of Leinster, all of Munster and parts of County Galway are to bear the brunt of the unseasonable weather with Methair in placing this status yellow rain warning from four o'clock tomorrow afternoon and it will remain in place until uh, midnight. So uh, from uh, certainly from mid-afternoon uh, tomorrow, uh, right up into the evening and into the um, early night, going to be a lot of wet uh, weather and it's shaping up the weekend. is going to be a mixed bag. There will be some sunshine, but there's going to be showers forecast for Saturday. And as Aaron are saying, uh, current conditions are indicating similar conditions for Sunday. So it'll be a bit of a wet one. Oh, it's one eight one oh three. One oh at three on the program this morning. We are going to be talking about uh, families who are struggling with grocery bills. And one of the ways that families, particularly families with children, are trying to make the, the money that they have for groceries stretch that, you know, a little bit further, obviously cutting back on certainly the luxuries that have gone out the door and they're keeping, they're just buying the essentials. But even when the dinners are being dished up, smaller portion sizes are being given. I suppose families are now acutely aware of having absolutely no uh, waste. And we know that families are, that live in poverty, we've had countless stories of uh, parents who will skip a meal to make sure that their children uh, will be fed and we'll be talking a little bit later on about the effect that it can have on children if they're not getting enough t- to eat, if they're not getting you know, a, a good balanced uh, diet or in some cases let's be honest, we know we've got children living in poverty we can have children who are going hungry so we'll be talking from the, with the child psychologist about the psychological uh, effect uh, of it and while we'll be doing that later on I picked up the Echo this morning And they've got a front page story from the wonderful uh, Katrina Toomey and her work at Cork Penny Dinners. And in the paper, they're talking today that a total of five Cork City schools and three creches are already availing of what they're calling their like in-house mini food banks and they'll be in place for the coming terms and this coming term and this obviously is to help families who have children going to those schools or those creches uh, in helping them to feed the children feed their own children Katrina Toomey explains that they began supplying non-perishable food items to schools and they started it a couple of years ago and what they do is the food is put in place and it's displayed on shelving just in kind of a discreet area of the school or the creche and it's to make the service as low-key as possible and the system means that, you know, parents who are dropping their children off to school are dropping their children off to the creche. They're not forced to open up about their financial difficulties. They're not forced to open up to the child's teacher to say, I have a food cupboard at home and there's nothing in it or I have nothing to give the children for dinner this evening. So they don't have to tell anyone 
because people feel very uncomfortable about doing that. Everybody wants to put a sunny side up. Everybody wants to, the, the neighbours, the other parents at the school gate, the teachers in the school, they want to know that everything's fine at home. But in reality, if you have a family who's financially struggling, everything mightn't be okay at home. So Katrina Toomey and the great gang of the Cork Penny Dinners came up with these ideas. They actually refer to them as food uh, libraries. And she says the model that's been running in recent years has been proving to be extremely uh, successful and she's now keen to expand the service to other schools and she's doing it in a bit to try to ensure that no child will go hungry, particularly during this cost of living uh, crisis. And what they do is they put in the things like, you know, the, the staple foods are put in, things like rice and pasta, tins of beans and tins of peas and they do also they're very conscious that it's children that also include, you know, treats for the children and they'll have coffee and sugar and cereal and crackers, things like that. A lot of the basic food items that we will be putting into our trolley every week. But if you don't have the money to put it into your trolley every week or if a bill arrived in, maybe a higher than average electricity bill, which God knows everybody's getting a higher than average electricity bill and suddenly somebody's paying that bill and realises I don't have any money to do grocery shopping and there's nothing left in the cupboard. So that's why these food libraries in the schools. And, and I love the idea that they're in a very discreet place. Nobody's watching anybody, you know, walking in. They could have a bag over your shoulder, drop the child into the classroom, pop over to the food library, take the pasta, take the pasta sauce, whatever it is you need to make dinner for that evening. I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, idea. So Katrina now is urging families who are currently availing of these food banks in the city schools and the creches to reach out to Cork Penny Dinners if they find that they need extra items and if they find, you know, not everything, these are mini, mini food banks. So, you know, they're not going to be as well stocked as, say, they would be down the Penny Dinner. So she's saying to those people, please reach out to us if you're in need of anything else. And she's also now pleading with other schools who might require the service to get in touch. Just contact Penny Dinners. Their email address is uh, corkpennydinners.ie. Name of the school. Katrina will get on and um, sort it out and, and stock the, the food library for you and the food bank for you in your school. So if there is, and, and teachers are the ones, teachers know only too well the children that are coming into school and who are hungry. And, you know, children, teachers will say if you have children in the classroom who are undernourished, but certainly if they're coming in hungry, they're not going to be able to concentrate. We all know ourselves how ratty we can all get if you're you're hungry. We all know that, you know, the horrible feeling that you get and you just need to get something in you. And as soon as you eat something, you almost relax and, and you feel better. So you can imagine being in a school setting trying to learn feeling like that and not even realising that you're feeling a little bit off form is because you are hungry. So well done to Katrina and Toomey and Cork Penny Jones. But as I say, we'll speak with a child psychologist just more digging into more the effect that it can have on children to be raised in uh, poverty and also for children who go, end up going to school uh, hungry. And I remember yesterday I, had, I read out that heartbreaking, really, really heartbreaking email from one of our listeners who wanted to remain anonymous, who wrote to us in the small hours of the morning, it was the email was sent at two a.m. in the morning. Couldn't sleep, and decided to email us. In I mean, and opened the email by saying, "I'm in despair, and I don't know where to turn for help." And their listener explained that um, she really has been struggling for months. But last weekend, it just came to a head. She had the money for the rent, but realised if she paid the rent, she wasn't going to have money for groceries. And because her partner has a terminal cancer diagnosis, he has to eat. So she went out and. Uh, 
spend some of the rent money on groceries and then of course the stress level of all of that and she says she's just been so so upset she's hardly sleeping she's hardly eating and uh, she, she says she can't tell anyone about the situation she's in so I'm assuming she hasn't been able to share this with uh, family or close friends and was just looking to us for advice on, on where she could go now we did get back in contact with her um, again I particularly wanted to find out because as I said when the email came I didn't know what part of Cork City or County this uh, woman was emailing us from. So she's in the, the Balancholic area. That's as much as, as uh, we need to know. Because uh, I was saying, if, you're, if depending on what area you're in, if there is there a food bank uh, close by. I mean, certainly if Aoife is, is the name that we've put on this lady, that's, that's not her real name. If, if Aoife certainly contacted Cork Penny Dinners um, at, that, at that email address, corkpennydinners.ie, Katrina Toomey and her gang would be out with a box of food, you know, by the time the email the return email was delivered uh, to her. They they do fantastic, very quiet work like that because it is it is hard to stand up and say I don't have any money for food. I really am struggling uh, here. And uh, also we've um, uh, St Vincent de Paul. Uh, Eva has reached out to St Vincent de Paul as well. But it's just that's just the reality of what is going on for people uh, at the moment. And and we wish her well and, and ask her to stay in contact with us and uh, let us know how she's getting on. But if anybody else can offer advice to somebody in that kind of a situation in the Balancholic uh, area, if you can pass on any contact details or anywhere where you think we should be sending Eva for help, uh, we'd be delighted to pass on any information we receive. And literally breaking news from the broadcasting world, Sir Michael Parkinson, one of Britain's most celebrated broadcasters and talk show hosts, has died at the age of 88. His family has revealed the news to the BBC, saying after a brief illness, uh, Sir Michael Parkinson passed away peacefully at home last night in the company of his uh, family. And the, when you look back on the catalogue of stars that Michael Parkinson has interviewed over the years. I mean, all of Hollywood's big names through what was really an illustrious career for Michael Parkinson. I mean, you can go way back uh, to names that a younger generation would probably even know who you're talking about. The likes of Jimmy Cagney, Fred Astaire, Lauren Bacall and Ingrid Bergman. And of course, he became a familiar face on both the BBC and ITV. And it was because he was most famous for those intimate celebrity uh, interviews. His show first aired on the BBC in 1971 and then it ran until 1982 and then in 1998 the chat show was revived on the BBC and it proved to be an instant hit and I remember the time of its revival people said oh was, was, it, was it just good back in the glory days of the 70s and early 80s would he be able to revive it again into the 90s and, and he did he of course switched then from BBC to ITV in 2002 and that ran until 2007 and he, you know, all of the big stars, the sporting stars I mean, famous, he's, he's done a famous interview with Muhammad Ali uh, the likes of David uh, Beckham and some of the funniest ones would have been with uh, Rod Hull and you know his puppet at Emu, they were some of the really, really funny funny ones and then of course all of the big stars featured on his programme, David Bowie he, he would have interviewed the likes of John Lennon and uh, Celine uh, Dion, um, he was so, and he is uh, married. Um, he was married in 1959 and he had three sons with his wife, uh, Mary, but the family just announcing the passing of Sir Michael 
Parkinson. Now, despite the launch of a major government investment programme to help transform the childcare sector, more than 180 creches have closed since the start of last year and those figures are confirmed by the Department of Children. To discuss the implications of those closures and what more can be done to help the industry, I'm joined by Elaine Dunn and Elaine is Chairperson of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. Good morning to you, Elaine. Good morning. And Thank ver- you for having me. Well, you're, you're, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, the government says since the 287 million core funding scheme was introduced, they say the rate of providers shutting down has actually slowed. And then they point to 101 new services have opened. But uh, you're saying the sector is still in crisis. I mean, is it still, in your opinion, underfunded? Um, yes, no, no, we, we still are chronically underfunded and we are still at 0.3% GDP. So we haven't really changed in, in actual fact. Um, yes, Minister Gorman and his department have got so much funding in and we are grateful for that. But it's the allocation of the funding is where we're seeing the problem. It's it's how it's been put out. We don't know where the funding is going to because a lot of the, the average service providers and some of the large ones are not seeing such an increase as what has been maintained maintained out there in the public eye. So that's a huge problem. Just want to come back about the 101 new services. So what we are seeing is that service providers are changing their service type so that they may be going from a part-time service to a full daycare service. But the what's happening is they are put up as a new service rather than just changing their actual title on the Tusla site. They're actually put up as a new service. And that's why you're seeing those services reopening and the 101 new services opening. We're seeing an awful lot of services closing. And this morning alone, so two yesterday, two the day before and two this morning that I've been notified about. So that's six in the last couple of days again. Do you know what I mean? So that's a massive amount of services closing down. And what we all have to think about here is the child. Mm. Children are being displaced and have nowhere to go. and And that's becoming... Uh, very prevalent from parents that parents that we're meeting and hearing from and we're receiving emails from. So they're asking us to help them find places around the country for their children. And there yeah, are no places. Yeah, and, 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 and we know because we, we've heard, we've heard it, particularly in some of the urban areas, parents really scrambling to find places. And I think it was, uh, I read, and you probably saw it, a teacher in the papers yesterday, and I know it was South Dub, the South Dublin area. Mm-hmm. She tried 20 creches without uh, any luck. But what I thought was ironic when I was reading it yesterday was I was doing an interview about teachers and the teacher shortages uh, issue. Mm-hmm. And here's somebody who wants to go back to work, wants to fill one of those uh, posts. So other professions and industries suffer because of this. Oh, absolutely. Like the nurses, doctors, the the teaching profession, they're they're all struggling because if we are closing down, they have nowhere for the children to go. And this is the harsh reality. So when we close down our services, then what are the families going to do? Is it predominantly the women that are going to be taken back out of the workforce? It's predominantly women who are closing their doors and women who are losing their jobs. So, I mean, this is where government really need to listen to what's going on on the ground and listen to the providers and the staff and the parents, because if it's the children that are being are, are being forced to suffer and be displaced, then we have to take a huge look at that because children do have rights to an education and parents have, and predominantly women have a right to earn a wage. Mm-hmm. And that's and, not happening. And it is, I just, it, I just, go on, yeah. just one thing, sorry. I did find a place for that parent. Oh, did anyway, you? Just, just to clarify, I did. Well done. I did. Well she, done. She's a lovely woman, and we have, we have got her sorted, thankfully. Okay, so that's parents, great. If parents wanted to contact the federation if they're struggling 
to please um, pass on our number because we can actually put out on the WhatsApp groups if there's a place anywhere in rural Ireland or urban Ireland. We do have a huge connection of networks around the country. Yeah, because you, you could sense even reading that, reading that interview with that teacher, the stress that woman has gone through in trying oh, to... Oh, abs- absolutely. And it, while absolutely. out on her maternity leave. And I just thought that is not fair. Mm. Yeah, I had a good chat with her yesterday. I'm like, she's been so stressed that she hasn't really enjoyed the maternity leave whatsoever. So we're kind of hoping that for the next couple of uh, weeks or months that she does enjoy the rest of her time with her children. Is a big issue, Elaine, still, you can't, uh, you and the other provider, you can't increase your fees. Isn't that the case? No, that's the case. So a lot of um, service providers around the country are still, so a fee freeze came in for 2021. So a lot of us are tied into a fee freeze going back to 2017. And the reason we are at that rate is because 2019 probably would have been the time when we would have put up uh, put a price increase in for our parents. But at that time, we went into a pandemic. And thankfully, the government did look after us really well and our minister and the department. But when we came out of that and we had EWSS and all of that wonderful funding, we really, really appreciated because we knew then how well we could work on the ground, enjoy our jobs and not be totally stressed out all the time about where we're going to get the next bit of funding from to be able to pay all of our bills. So then we came in and in good faith, we signed up to core funding. Now, I didn't personally, but service providers signed up to core funding. And then core funding has not worked for many of them. And this is why you're seeing the service providers closing down. It's burnout. It's lack of funding. They can't get staff. So you're seeing rooms closing down. I mean, everyone's fighting for a second ERO. And like, we want another ERO. We want to pay our staff well. But how can we do that if we don't have the funding in the bank? And if, the, you know, and if that's going to force us out of business, then the staff lose their jobs. I mean, that's the reality on the ground for many of us. We really respect our staff and we, we look after them. And, you know, but respect is not enough. They need to earn a decent wage. But so do the providers. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I saw you, you point out that the government scheme for September uh, amounts to an extra three cent per child and two cent for school age services. Absolutely. Um, for, per hour, that's what's coming in. I mean, that's not going to pay the bills. I mean, when we saw that, I think that's what forced a lot of the service providers to close their doors. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and that is a real issue. I mean, how? look, I'm going to ask you one question. Can you tell me anything that you know is the same price as it was in 2017? Nothing. 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 Well, we are. Child carers for many yeah. providers. And yet we all know we're living in a cost of living crisis. We all know our you know, electricity bills are higher, gas bills are higher, our grocery bills are higher. All of your bills are rising at the same time. Oh, no, 100 percent. But that's not been taken into account. So we need the department and the government to actually do their due diligence on all of the service types. Look at the costs of the running costs of a business and see. And by the way, one thing everybody needs to know is we are business women at the end of the day. You know, and people yeah. need to respect that this is a predominantly women led sector. Yeah, yeah. And we're in it, and you know, as business people, and yet we're not being treated that way. Like, profit is a dirty word. Yeah, in and, our business, and that's wrong. And that's, other business, yeah, that's, and that's wrong. Yeah, you're not charities. Yeah. And you're no, not, you're no, not no, no. state funded like a school that doesn't have to make a profit. As you say, you, no. you are, but you well, are business at least, people. At least the, the schools can uh, take. Um, funding from the parents. Voluntary, you know, they can, they yeah, voluntary contributions. contributions yeah, and everything yeah. We're not allowed to do any of that. 
So what, if so a what's, service is forced out of business and a parent offers that service money and a group of them come together, the provider can't take that money. If they do, all of their funding is pulled back. And, I, and I'm sure you're hearing that from parents who, who are, you know, parents are, you, you, when you speak with a parent who's got a happy child in a creche where, you know, they really love going and they skip in every day, you know, that's worth anything to a parent to see a child happy. And if that creche is under threat of closure, I'm sure the parents are probably saying, can we not pay a bit extra? Oh, no, absolutely. Parents are now coming together and, and, and trying to help providers. But unfortunately, due to the contracts that we sign, we are not allowed to take any voluntary contributions from the parents. And that's, that is a huge issue because parents don't want to see us closing down. They don't want their child displaced. They don't want to have to change to another service that the same thing may happen in 18 months time to. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. So there's a knock on effect from government. You know, it's like it, it's, it's just continuous and that's why we've all come out. Parents are coming out with us now. The Federation have set up parents committees as well. So we're looking for parents to come on board from Cork. So if anybody wants to contact me privately and come onto a, a committee, we would really appreciate it. Um, so you're, you're doing your best in everything you can. But if the funding isn't there, then there's a fundamental issue. OK, you're planning on some strike action, I suppose you could call it, in, in September? Um, I just have to stop people from using the word strike. I know. Not a union. I yeah. know. We've, we've already got well, closures. So You're going to do some yeah, closures. We're, we're, we're doing protests. So we are at three day closures in at the end of September. But if we don't get anything from government, I'm not sure after the three days whether we will reopen on the Friday or the Monday. So we will continue until something is given to us from government or at least that, that there's some kind of consultation going on and that we can see that there's something coming down that's significant for both the child, the parents, um, the provider, the staff, that we know the significant funding coming in here that will keep the doors open for all of us. Okay, and as I say, there's a knock-on effect for every single profession and job around the country. Elaine, we'll keep in contact with you in the meantime. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Elaine Dunn and Elaine is chairperson of the Federation of Early Childhood uh, Providers who certainly are not happy at the moment. 0818 103 103. John O'Donovan in the city kind of scratching his head this morning. He said we've we've had the Tupperty, the Ryan Tupperty scandal back by the way John don't upset yourself by buying the papers today it's back all over the papers again today anyway John says we've had the Jeopardy scandal we've had the addition of another presenter onto the Rose of Tralee which our John O'Donovan is not happy about and now worst of all what is upsetting John O'Donovan today Brown Thomas has opened their Christmas shop today what is today's date the 17th of August and John says we still await some summer sunshine Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Court today on C103. More state funding is needed to ensure that children in poverty have equal access to summer courses in the Gaeltachs. That's according to Cunrith Naguelga, who have called for a scholarship scheme to be introduced. To find out more, I'm joined by Caelan McGrayna of Cunrith Naguelga. Good morning to you, Good morning. And you're very welcome to the programme. Now, firstly, roughly how much does it cost to send a student to the Gwerthoch in the summer? Depending on where you're going, what kind of course you're doing, whether it's two weeks or three weeks, um, it's the, the, the cost can depend, but it can be well over a thousand euro um, to send a child to the Gwerthoch um, for, for summer courses, which is, uh, which is a lot of money. Yeah, and out of reach for families who are already struggling to put food on the table. 
get that courses um, for students who simply can't afford um, to Okay, we're having a problem there with your mobile. If you just move slightly, you could just be in a bad area. Okay. You're 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 breaking up. Um, you're breaking up a, a little bit. Um, are there any scholarship schemes available at the moment? There are scholarship schemes provided by the government and provided by um, private organisations, but they're generally very small. There's there's no. Um, there's no big, big scholarship schemes to ensure that lots of kids um, get to get to go and get have the opportunity to go to, to these courses. So, um, what we'd like to do is to, to have ten thousand scholarship schemes provided by um, the government, with five thousand being full scholarships to allow five percent of children below the poverty line to attend um, GILSA courses, and then another five thousand half scholarships that would allow um, people who might not be below the poverty line, um, but could still really use um, such a such a scheme, allow um, their kids to go to the to, to the Gilsec courses. Yeah, there would be some families who'd be able to come up with part of the funding. So if you have a half scholarship, that certainly could work. And you do it what sort of like a means tested. Your p- parents would apply and kind of a means testing the way it's done, say for the medical card, for example. That's right. And are you, are we seeing a drop in the number of teenagers going every summer? There has been a slight drop in recent years, um, and there's there's a few issues there. There's obviously issues of affordability um, and issues of access. There's issues of spaces as well, which is um, that the amount of spaces that colleges are able to um, uh, to, to, to provide is is after decreasing in in, in certain places. Um, now, in some places, that's to do with the infrastructure um, that that's available, that the colleges are able to um, have a certain amount of of classroom spaces. But in an awful lot of cases, it's to do with the amount of Marathi and Farti that are able to keep children in their their houses um, uh, during during the summer. Um, And that's that's to do with rising cost of living and to do with um, how how they're able to... um, Provide for for students on the on the amount of money that they they get for keeping them. Yeah, I remember doing an interview, uh, Caelan, a couple of years ago about the ban on teas, and and uh, there just wasn't enough of them, and and people who you know, traditionally did it for years were starting to retire, and it was harder to get some of the the younger men and women in the Gaeltacht area to take it on. But obviously, cost is a huge one. Nobody's going to take on that job unless it unless they get properly paid for it. So how is that funding? How is that decided how much they get? Um, at the minute, it's, uh, the, the government provide around €12 Euro, um, per, per student per night um, for students attending the, the, the Gaeltacht courses. And we'd like to see that increase by €2 Euro a year over the next five or six years. Um, there's also problems with um, new Marathi and Farsi not coming into the system to replace a lot of older Marathi who would be retiring um, and an awful lot retired during COVID and didn't decide to, to, to take it up again. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a huge cost to invest in, in, in your own house, to buy bunk beds, to buy duvets, to buy all sorts of things that you need to get set up in the first place um, to keep students um, for the, the, the small amount of money. That you that you might make over the over the summer, um, with the rising cost of electricity and foods and all sorts of things like that, it is very hard to take that decision 
education students. Um, so we, we, we need to make it as, as easy as possible for people to, to, to make decisions um, and to, to, to bring more people into the system that way. Yeah, you need to make it as attractive as possible. Got twelve euro a night. I think people will be shocked to hear how low it is. That's, that sounds like a very low sum of money, uh, Caitlin, particularly with the cost of living crisis. It is. It is now. Colleges themselves then uh, have the the opportunity to make uh, to make that up as well. But okay. colleges aren't exactly flush with money. Yeah. Um, and either with with cost of insurance and and cost of electricity and different different things like that for themselves there as well. Um, yeah. So it is an expensive thing to do, um, but it's, it's, it's a very valuable thing to do and it's a very valuable thing to have um, to, to give students from all over the country the opportunity to attend these courses and to, to make sure that it's viable into the future, it does need, it does need investment um, and that's something that, that we'd like to see done. And I take it as well that these summer courses, they're a good injection of money into a, a local area, a Gwaeltocht area. They are in some very small towns where there might be one shop and one school and, and nothing else. The population um, doubles overnight the day the buses come with five or 600 um, students into the area. So it's a, it's, it's a huge boost for, for local economies um, uh, in the Gwaeltocht areas and it's a uh, it's got a, a knock-on effect for lots of different services, um, you know, for for people providing um, bus services, for shops, for all sorts of different things in the local community. There's there's um, there's benefits there for them. So this scholarship that you that you're asking uh, the government for, I mean, ten million, and in the scheme, like ten million to you or I is a lot of money. But when you look at the government's funding stream, it's it's it really is a very small amount of money. But that might just be the injection that the Gwaeltocht areas and and the colleges it might just be the injection that they need. I think so. I think it it is needed um, to make sure that the the colleges. Um, are viable into the future, but it's it's also part of a much wider thing that there's a huge benefit um, for the Irish language um, for the students that attend um, the colleges, and they really do something for for students in terms of not only in terms of making high quality Irish speakers out of out of um, young children, but to give them a love of the language in a way that um, schools alone aren't able to do. And it's a rite of passage as well, I think, for for a lot of teenagers. I mean, anybody listening to us who would ever have been, went to the Gwail Talks during their teenage years, everyone has such fond and happy memories of time spent at the Gwail Talks. Absolutely, very fond memories. And uh, there, there, there's not many people who, who wouldn't say they had a, a great experience. And what we would like is to, to expand that and make sure that uh, a much broader um, range of people get to have that very fond experience and a greater number of people get to have that experience and that they'll talk about for years and years to come into the future. And the Kayleigh at night was always the highlight, Kaylin. Do they, do they still have the Kayleys? They still have the Kayleys <laughs> and even the odd disco these days, yeah. <laughs> All right, listen, um, good luck with this. I, I, you know, as I say, 10 million might sound like a lot of money, but I think in the scheme of things it is a, a small enough uh, um, sum. Uh, and thank you for joining us and talking to us on the programme. 
Goodbye. Thank you for that. That is uh, Caelan McGrena, who is with uh, Conrad Naguelga. Uh, and I'm wondering, would people be in agreement uh, with what, what they are suggesting to put in place some kind of a scholarship? Because it does seem unfair that uh, families who just can't afford to send their children uh, and yet the child next door might be family well able to afford the child next door, the child next door can go because the families have the money and some other kid down the road uh, can't. A scholarship uh, scheme whereby children who genuinely want to go and feel they would benefit from going to the Gwale Talks would be able to apply. We'll keep an eye on that. Your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103. I mentioned at the top of the programme that we are going to be talking in the next star. Uh, with a child psychologist and we're just talking about families who are struggling at the moment with the cost of uh, living and families who are struggling to try and make the grocery shop stretch out a little bit more and the one, one of the ways that some people are doing it is they're cutting down on portion sizes. Now there could be an advantage to cutting down on portion sizes in that you might save on waste food and that's obviously would be good for the environment but a lot of families it's not to do with that. They literally are trying to make the food that they buy go that little bit uh, further and that led to me you know, talking about um, what Cork Penny Dinners are doing with their food libraries and food banks that they're running inside in uh, schools and you know providing the basics for people. Somebody has made the uh, suggestion, uh, Patricia, that um, what families need to do, particularly families with young children, they need to start cooking at home. You can make a dinner for a lot less than what you would spend on a takeaway. And this listener says, I can see it every single day. You know the old saying, teach a man to uh, fish and you uh, feed him for life rather than handing him uh, the fish. And I'm I'm wondering, is is that something that needs to be looked at uh, as well? I know, I'm sure Bernardo's are one of the organisations that they actually bring parents in and they run sort of basic cookery classes and cookery courses. Is that something our parents today, are they cooking from scratch? Some will say don't have the time to cook from scratch if you've everybody out at work. But you are right if you were to compare like and like. A takeaway meal is a treat, let's be honest. So it is. It would be much more expensive a takeaway meal than cooking something from scratch. But sometimes if you look at buying, you know, like instant and fast foods that you can get in the freezer, for example, that can be really expensive. Whereas if you were to cook that from scratch, you certainly would be saving. But you do need the skills uh, in order to be able to know how to start, where to start and and how can you make a decent meal. Is that an issue? uh, Are enough parents uh, today just not competent when it comes to cooking up basic meals? Okay, listeners on to say, hi Patricia, I'm just wondering, did any of your listeners know why four helicopters passed over the village of Ballyhay all together yesterday at 5.40 in the evening. It was a lovely sight to see, but the noise really was something else. I was thinking at the time of farmers and their cattle when it happened, because cattle can get quite spooked by noise like that. And I'm wondering, did any of the cattle break out due to the noise from the four uh, helicopters? And four helicopters, you'd often, certainly where I'm living, you'd often hear the the search and rescue helicopter uh, fly overhead of the community air ambulance based out of Rathcooley and that that will often uh, pass overhead but it is very unusual to have four helicopters uh, together. Uh, Anybody know what that was about yesterday? Ballyhay Village and they obviously went on to other areas about 20 to 6 yesterday evening so a fine bright uh, evening 
uh, they would have been well spotted and this listener said the noise alone obviously made this listener go out and take a look up into the skies to see what was uh, going on. So if anybody has the, the inside track on what those four helicopters were doing over the Ballyhay kind of Ballyhay Charleville area yesterday uh, before six o'clock, let us know. We're dying to know. Just extend our deepest, deepest sympathies to that poor family in um, Carrigaline. Uh, just hearing the news that the little eight-year-old uh, boy that we spoke about on Monday, hoping that he would make a full uh, recovery, but unfortunately he passed away uh, yesterday evening from the injuries he uh, sustained. He was out with his mum and there was a younger brother as well and he was on his bicycle. I don't know if thought the entire family were cycling and it was just this little uh, eight-year-old boy and unfortunately he was struck by a car. He was at a pedestrian crossing on the Cork Road in Carrigaline about half nine on uh, Saturday morning. I mean, he initially went to CUH but he was then taken uh, to Temple Street Children's Hospital in Dublin but sadly he has passed away uh, yesterday. His poor, poor family, we think of them uh, today and of course the Gardaí are still appealing for any witnesses or indeed any road users who were out and about last Saturday morning who might have video footage on their dash cam and anyone who was in the on the Cork Road area near Carrigaline at particular times in particular they're looking for anyone with dash cam footage between 9am and 9.30am last Saturday morning to please contact if you haven't already contacted them please contact Toker Garda uh, station or indeed any Garda uh, station but uh, the poor family we, we think of them today 0818103103 other points and issues coming into us oh Councillor Bernard Moynihan has just been on to us because we've we regularly get calls in from people looking for updates on Bally McCork uh, Cross. We've been campaigning on behalf of Roadworks at Bally McCork Cross, known as one of the most dangerous junctions in Ireland. And of course, finally the funding came through and the work has begun. And Councillor Bernard Moynihan has been on to say that the Bantier exit of the new roundabout is going to open Tuesday week. That's the 29th of August. That'll just be in time for the start of school. Four o'clock in the afternoon, Tuesday week, and work on what's been a five million euro project is actually ahead of schedule so well done to the people working there and it will now be complete by mid-October but the Bantier exit from the new roundabout opening on Tuesday the 29th of uh, August for people living in that area and then a listener was on to say uh, just in the last hour or so they were in Boherbui and they went to Boherbui to do some recycling they went to put in clothing into the clothing bins at the recycling centre in Boherbui there's five bins there together in Boherbui all five of them were full and that's really frustrating when you go to the effort of doing all the recycling loading up the car driving because you always feel so great when you've it all recycled and gone and out of the house but to have to return with it or driving around looking for other bins the only advice I can give you is normally on a lot of those recycling bins there's a telephone number on it I mean, some of them get uh, have regular pickups. Others wait until they get a call to say that the bin is full. So if you could take down any of the phone numbers on any of the bins and give them a call and, and explain that the bin is full. Because what can happen is a bin can be emptied and then suddenly everyone decides to do the recycling at the same time and some of the bins can fill up very, very quickly. So hopefully there's numbers on some of those bins that maybe you would be able to call them. But I sense your uh, frustration. And there's someone else that's looking for advice and is more than frustrated, I think, is a little bit upset reading out this text saying Trisha I wonder if you'd put this out on air for me please I was in hospital 
back in February under a consultant who shall remain anonymous which is fine. Patricia I was told when I visited the consultant that I'd be waiting between five and eight weeks for a follow-up. By the way I am a private patient. When I rang this consultant's secretary she told me I was on a list and when I questioned her about the list you know and how long more will I be waiting and I was told five to eight weeks she got quite annoyed with me on the phone and told me that I would hear when my name came up on the system was on the top of the list and then she also told me I wasn't to ring her again. Patricia, we're now halfway through August and I've still had no contact. I don't know what caused my problem and I'm actually afraid now to contact the secretary again because of her attitude the day that I did ring. I would appreciate if you could put this out to get advice from any other listeners and did anybody else ever have a similar problem uh, to mine? I simply don't know where uh, to turn. Um, And that's a private patient who's paying and paying well to go along to see that consultant and to get the follow up from the consultant. Okay, you've been waiting since February. So say say it was mid-February, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. All right, that's six months. And you were told between five and eight uh, weeks. That seems an excessively long uh, period of time. I'd love you to pick up the phone and ring the secretary again. But obviously, uh, you're not the type of person that likes to have that kind of confrontation. And that is a nice to have somebody being quite annoyed with you on the phone when you're ringing up, particularly to do with the health uh, issue. A couple of things instantly spring to mind. I wonder, could your GP call or could you know, the GP secretary call or could the GP send a letter saying, you know, what's going on uh, here? You could if you really wanted to, but then you'd be getting more delays. You could change consultants. You could ask your GP to go to a different consultant, but obviously you're, you're happy with the consultant. It isn't the consultant that you have the issue with. It's actually the uh, secretary, but it's... it's uh, and then... If you don't want to ring back yourself, is there another family member that could ring and not take jip from the secretary? Now, maybe the secretary was having a bad day. Maybe the secretary is sick of getting calls from people. I don't know what it is, but but they shouldn't be taking it out on somebody who's been waiting what looks like a long period of time, particularly when you were told you'd be waiting between five and eight weeks. And now it's six months in and you still haven't been uh, called back. So you, you certainly need to get back on if you don't want to do it yourself, either get a family member, maybe a family member could do it for you. Or as, uh, as I say, ask your doctor. Because I take it you went to the consultant and it initially would have been done with a referral from your doctor. And normally then what happens is when you go see the consultant, the consultant will send a letter back to your GP telling him or her what is going on. So I would suggest maybe your GP might be your best port to call, but we'll put it out as well. Has anybody else come across that? Bearing in mind, this is a private patient. God help people who are on a public waiting list who wait excessively long periods of time and try to ring up and the person can't even find their name on the list. But it's I can sense your, fr- your frustration uh, coming through on that uh, text. So if anybody has advice, 0818 John Paul taking calls you can text or whatsapp me with any advice for that lady on 086 2103 103 Karen is in Crookstown and you know when somebody suggested with an issue we're going to be dealing with in a minute that some families are 
putting out smaller portions on the plate, trying to make whatever grocery they, groceries they buy, trying to make them stretch a little bit longer because of grocery bills all going so high and people are under pressure at the moment with the, the cost of living. And that prompted somebody to say that we need to go back to basics and that a lot of families need to go back to cooking from scratch, that some families are doing takeaways, which are really expensive, or they're buying ready-made meals, which can also be very expensive. And can I say, often don't have the same nutritional value than if you cook from uh, scratch. And I was wondering to people of the skill set. Maybe, you know, not everyone is able to uh, cook. Uh, Karen says that there is a lady on TikTok who does great recipes to make dinners for under five euro. One dinner will serve five people. Also, there are other suggestions where if you have a slow cooker, you can batch a cook for under a tenner and have food for a family for two for two to three days. Have you the name of the 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 person on TikTok that's doing that because we could share that with anyone who has TikTok but we need the name of the person who is sharing recipes and ideas of how to cook uh, for under a fiver and uh, meals that can be cooked that will, that will serve uh, five people. 0818103103. Karen, if you want to get back and give us the name of the lady on uh, TikTok uh, or if anybody else knows who it is. And then Heidi was on. This is kind of tying in with what happened with the banks and Bank of Ireland and the money issue and then the guards standing at the ATM machines to try and maintain order. Hi Patricia, I wonder how long it will be before this country tries to kill off cash completely. We must keep cash as not all of us have cards. Look how the UK has tried and now they have received a petition from the people of the UK to their government to keep cash as legal tender. The people are the important ones in this issue and let us not forget if you only have cards to pay with businesses. The businesses can end up charging higher prices just to use your cards. We would be the bigger losers if we ended up not having cash in our society. We need to keep using uh, cash. Yeah, and I suppose that was one of the issues that I did point out to when I was talking about Bank of Ireland and what happened, uh, you know, and things do go wrong from an IT point of view and God knows Bank of Ireland have enough have had enough IT problems and they're not the only bank that has had IT problems and we've often heard of people going somewhere and the internet might be down and the cash machines don't work and there's a scramble for who has money and who doesn't have money and remember the Aviva Stadium in Dublin when all the Americans were over for their football uh, match and the internet went down and the Aviva then had to I'm assuming it was the Aviva themselves had to suffer the loss they had to hand out free food and free drink the Americans (laughs) thought all their Christmases had come together they couldn't believe it because none of them had cash on them they were all trying to use their card and none of the card machines uh, were working so yeah there is and and I think it's one of the reasons that even for people who do use their cards uh, quite quite a lot and I would use my cards quite a lot but I always like to have a little bit of cash on me I I don't know what it is almost like a security blanket I think at times but just for for Heidi and for others um, the government are very much recognising that there are people who will always want to deal in uh, cash and actually it was last year and I'll need to try and do a follow up I'll I'll try and take a look this afternoon but it was last year that the Department of Finance they recommended legislation to preserve reasonable access uh, to cash and uh, this legislation would make it mandatory for banks 
for example, to provide deposit and withdrawal uh, services and potentially requiring other certain firms and sectors to accept cash uh, payments. It was, uh, um, it was at the end of last year, the end of 2022, there was an update to the Retail Banking Review and it proposed that new regulations which would ensure future changes in the cash infrastructure and that they do not outpace the expectations of the needs of society. And the recommendations recognised that while cash use in Ireland, it has declined and everyone has accepted has declined, access to physical money and the ability to exchange that physical money for goods and services remains essential to supporting financial inclusion and providing a backup payment option for occasions where the digital options fail and the cards leave us down. Now, and of course, the reason that there was a big push was last summer, we'll all remember Allied Irish Bank and their controversial announcement where they were trying to get, was it 70 branches in total were going to go cashless and there was a huge uproar. So much so that the bank rapidly changed their mind and pledged to retain the cash services at all of their bank branches. They certainly listened uh, to the people. So then at that time, the Department of, of Finance, and uh, then it was Pascal Donner who was the Minister for Finance, uh, he started working on and he'd already accepted that uh, cash-friendly legislation and a framework uh, would be delivered and delivered soon. So I don't know where we are with that because that certainly was uh, last year, but they are going to bring in legislation which will um, which will make sure that people will, it'll preserve the right to access to cash. As I say, I'll try and get an update on that uh, later on and I take it that will be welcomed by so many. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103 or 103. C103 Jobs. Crawford Art Gallery in Cork. They've got a vacancy for an audience development and a communications executive. Please apply through their website to crawfordartgallery.ie forward slash vacancies. An experienced TIG welder is wanted to work in uh, Limerick. You can call 087 165 Liscarroll GAA, Milford GAA and Jermina GAA, they are all looking for groundkeepers. Now you must be eligible for a community employment scheme and you email Evelyn O'Keefe at dealvalley.ie. And Able Minds Montessori, they're based in Grenada. They have, they are looking for an AIM support position. It's available from September. FITEC level five references and first aid required. All of us, you contact at Able Minds Montessori, 086 052 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Hi, it's Ken here and all this week I've teamed up with Falter Ireland to show you how you can have the best daycation ever. I'll be out experiencing a daycation and exploring some of the many things around Cork like Rebel Cork Distillery and Cork Harbour Cruises, giving you the inside scoop on how you can experience all the fun of a holiday in a single day. And I've got all for one vouchers up for grabs for you to experience your own best daycation, so stay tuned for an adventurous week with Fulcher Ireland on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Opinions, not to me. 
Cork Today on C103. Now it's claimed that there could be as many as 80% of families in Ireland having to reduce portion sizes to try to stretch their shopping further as they struggle financially in the cost of living crisis that we're all going through at the moment. To talk about the effect that that can have, especially on children, I'm joined by Dr. Mali Coyne, who is a child psychologist. Good morning, Shamali. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very, very well. I'm very well, thank you. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, now, Mally, parents will skip meals in order to make sure that they feed their children. But if the portion sizes are even starting to get smaller, would you be fearful that the children maybe are not getting adequate nutrition? Yeah, I would be, um, Patricia, in terms of, I mean, for me, like the the results of this survey, which was commissioned by Heinz, were really striking. I knew that there was an issue, but I didn't realise, I suppose, the extent of the issue in terms of eight and ten parents have had to cut back or remove altogether nutritionally rich foods like meat, fish and dairy in a bid to reduce the shopping bill. So, you know, like that is quite concerning in terms of, um, having to miss meals on a regular basis and missing out on nutritionally good foods, which we know are absolutely imperative for children in terms of, you know, both their physical and their psychological health and their education. So it is quite concerning uh, to, to hear that. And I was really surprised by by the extent of the issue. Do you think children uh, pick up on the fact that mum and dad are struggling financially and obviously if mum and dad are struggling financially there's a lot of stress in that in that household and even though you know parents will do their best to hide it from children do children pick up on it well children pick up on everything do you know that's the way they are they're so attuned to us you know as a parent i can say that to you like my own kids will say to me mommy will you you know take in a few deep breaths and 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 breathe and and you know they they're very attuned to us because I suppose they need to be um, and that they are from birth, you know, in terms of seeing is mommy or, or daddy in, a, in good form, not good form. And if a parent is worrying about something, you know, as basic to many of us as being able to kind of feed ourselves. And I suppose just the general this is about food and not being able to kind of provide nutritionally rich foods and having to cut those out. But it's also about the, the cost of living crisis, generally speaking, um, and how that's really having an impact on households. And children are absolutely picking up on that stress. And it's very hard then for parents to be able to um, kind of, you know, like, you know, look after their own kind of needs as well in terms of their own emotions so that they can also um, manage and, and, and be that emotional regulator for their children. Yeah, because teachers and I would have interviewed teachers o- over the years, uh, Mali, who will say, you know, a-, a hungry child is not going to perform well in school. Yeah. And, and like the research would tell us that, you know, absolutely. Um, that's why like Bernardo's and Heinz have joined for this campaign as well, because Bernardo's are the ones who provide these nutritionally rich breakfasts for children before they go into school. And we know that in order for us to be able to kind of learn well, to take in the, the information, to to thrive, to socialise with our peers, because school isn't just about learning, as we know. It's all about the educational experience of being in school. It's participation in activities, making friends, taking in, you know, the difficult subjects that we may have as well, running around in the playground. All of those things are impacted, 
we all know ourselves as as adults that if we're if we haven't eaten properly, we can feel that feeling of hunger, and it's very hard then to think straight when you're feeling hungry. Yeah, well, I, I mentioned that earlier when I was teeing up that you were coming on the program. Like we all get very ratty, and then when we realise, mm. oh, oh, if I eat something, and instantly when you eat something, you'll calm, you'll calm your, 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 your you'll calm yourself down. But I'm wondering, I, I know. The government are doing their best, particularly with the DESH schools, and, and they provide free hot dinners. Is, is there a role here for the government to make sure that every school in the country is providing hot meals? Yeah, I mean, I think that that, you know, like I think that would be could be a really useful thing. Um, you know, I, I definitely feel like um, for schools where food is provided, at least that takes away the stress and the burden from the parent who has so many other stresses to deal with as well, um, that they don't have to also think of, you know, wouldn't it be great if they knew, well, my child is getting... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Getting a hot meal or a nutritionally rich meal. And then so therefore that pressure is just less there. I know myself as a parent, you're constantly thinking, what are they going to like? They're always eating. Mm. So you're constantly thinking, what am I going to provide for them now? And that's why I suppose this campaign is such a useful campaign between Bernardo and Heinz, that if you buy these um, three pack of beans in any supermarket around the country at the moment, you are going to contribute directly towards a breakfast um, for a child in one of the Bernardo centres. So I, I do think that would be a really useful thing. Yeah, yeah. And I know, I mean, Social Justice Ireland estimated that, I mean, I think it's a quarter of a million uh, children was the last stat actually live in uh, poverty. And this is taking it to another level again. Um, what, what is the psychological effect, Mali, of being been on children have been raised in poverty. Well, I mean, what a, that that's that's a a big big question. I think you know poverty, as they say, one of the best quotes that I've ever heard is "equality is the best form of therapy." And what I mean by that is that if you live in poverty, it's going to impact on so many other aspects of your life. Do you know, and and like psychologists think a lot about the likes of trauma and the likes of, you know, traumatic experiences we may experience as children, which will impact on us as we grow older and will limit possibilities we might we might otherwise have had. So it does. It's almost like um, a, a poison in a way. I don't try. I'm not trying to be overly negative, but it does impact on, uh, you know, being able to um, kind of 
be on an equal playing field as our peers in mm. terms of opportunities growing older. You know, I suppose you have to think of there was one quote from a Bernardo study that talked about a teenager. not He has no lunch going to school. He can't afford to go places with his friends. He's sitting in a cold room trying to do his homework. So when you think of that child who's sitting in a cold room, you know, trying to do what their peers are doing with with an empty belly and not able then to do what the other kids are doing, be it go out and, you know, get a get a coffee or, you know, like go and, you know, be Socialize, with your friends. I mean, yeah, food yeah. connects us all as, as, as human beings. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and God knows we've seen like cycles of poverty where children raised in poverty go on to be adults in poverty, go on to raise their own children in poverty. And, and all, all of the research points, the key uh, and the road out of that is education. And that's where Bernardo's, yeah. you know, groups like Bernardo's, when they do their breakfast clubs, I was just mentioning uh, here locally, one of our charities, Cork Penny Dinners, they've started putting in food banks oh. into schools. Uh, and they're in a very discreet place and that families, when they're dropping their ch- children off, they can go to this food bank. It's like a food library, they're calling it, and just take the bits that they need for dinner. You know, which I mean, oh, it's, I love that. I, yeah. I, I saw a programme about Cork Penny Dinners. It just made me cry. Just it's so beautiful. My mum lives in Cork, so I'm kind of very affiliated there. She's an Inchigila. So yeah, I, I I and and when I watch that about Penny and the the I think that that is just it's about taking shame away because this Heinz research also found that 32% of parents are worried that children living in food poverty will feel isolated and unequal, which will impact their social well-being. So we're trying to take the shame away as well and kind of saying this is happening and this is happening more than we think it's happening. So let's remove the stigma and find ways of doing that, as you said, through education and through, you know, having kids just as a matter, apart for the course, be able to access food and it not be something that you know, singles them out as being different. Yeah, let all children be equal. Listen, uh, Mali, exactly. Mali, thank you for that and good luck with this campaign with uh, Heinz and you, uh, Bernardos sure. and thanks for joining us. All right. Thank good you morning so much. to you. Bye bye, Dr. Mali Coyne, who is a child uh, psychologist. 0818103103. I always have to look at the calendar and think it's, you know, it's, it's 2023, not 1923, and we're talking about children. Uh, in a cold room, hungry, trying to, a teenager trying to do their homework. It's just, I I shake my head. I just constantly shake my head. I can't, there's times where I just can't make sense of it on a country that we're told is awash with money. Never been so much money flowing into the exchequer. And uh, we can be talking about food banks uh, for children and Bernardo's having to run breakfast clubs to make sure that children will have some kind of a breakfast as they head into uh, school. Doesn't make any sense to me at all. 0818 103 103. John Paul is taking your calls. Um, just for people who've been contacting us this morning about water outages in part of North Cork, we contacted Ishka Aaron. They're currently investigating reports of display. Supply disruptions, Cecilton, Castle Magna, Canturk and the surrounding areas, but they're investigating it. So if it is a leak, uh, they haven't found it yet. They're investigating it. And so that's explaining water outages, Cecilton, Castle Magna, Canturk and the surrounding areas. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. We're heading to Bandingar, the station for this week's Garda. Final. I'm joined by Sergeant Rory Gunn. Uh, good morning to you, Rory. 
Good morning. And you're very welcome. And we want to start with the accommodation uh, fraud, uh, in particular with regards to students. Every day on the paper I'm reading about a different uh, alert about accommodation fraud. People need to be really, really careful at this time of year, especially those students heading to co- back to college. Yeah, uh, it had uh, got some coverage on the national airways yesterday and uh, I know my colleague Sergeant Eamon O'Connell uh, spoke about it on the last card of the file. So yeah, it is, um, it's a particularly kind of nasty type of fraud in, in, in so far as that there is a monetary loss but also uh, students may find themselves um, uh, uh, lending to a property that they thought that they'd secured in weeks to come uh, only to find that um, they, they're the victims of a fraud. Um, so we want to avoid that at all costs um, and we ask people just to um, maybe look for red flags uh, in the context of this particular scam. Yeah, so, the, yeah. The big one always seems to be communicating with somebody who's overseas and can't actually meet you. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's certainly a, a red flag. Um, and uh, you may have uh, one of the things that we would urge people to do is obviously try to. Um, go and meet the person and view the property. Um, and even at that, if if you meet someone outside the property and if they're kind of indicating, you know, that they can't go in today, that the tenants, are, that they, they, you know, for some reason that you can't go in, uh, in, in of itself, it may not necessarily mean that, uh, that you are being scammed, but it is a red flag, um, as is um, maybe the, the, a person who's, trying to push you and um, uh, convincing you that uh, if you don't uh, uh, secure the property immediately, that, you know, there's 10 other people that are waiting to uh, waiting behind you. Yeah, so which, 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 case, yeah so. which isn't far from the truth as well. So that, you know, people will believe that, that everybody's looking for the property. But if somebody is rushing you into handing over a deposit and first month's rent and are being really pushy about it, that's a red flag. It is a red flag, um, and um, a lot of the times you can actually, uh, uh, one of the um, things that we would ask people to do is just trust their gut on this, um, yeah. and I know that there is, uh, uh, for anyone who's looking for accommodation, uh, as you rightfully pointed out, the demand is so high that people are very anxious to secure um, a, a rental property. But um, uh, if the red flags start to appear uh, and if your instincts are saying, you know, and, and, and it may often be the case, this is too good to be true mm. um, because the scammers may uh, and are likely to, to reduce the prices um, to, to attract people in, um, you just need to press pause and um, step back um, and just weigh it all up and check and see whether or not... Um, is this does this sound right or is there something off yeah. um, and there are actually uh, um, ways in which you can um, threshold um, the, the, the housing agency they have um, a helpline um, and a help feature that uh, you can access um, and there's other um, uh, 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 they have one um, so any legitimate rental company um, they'll have their own uh, guidelines in relation to what to do and what to watch out for. And I also so feel if, if say, you, whatever college you're going to, uh, if you check in with the students' union there, they always have accommodation officers. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, I, I just think that the, the pinch point for this type of a scam is someone who is desperate to get accommodation yeah. um, and they just jump. Um, and the next thing, you know, that the deposit is handed out uh, or the, another um, potential red flag is someone asking you to to um, use a finance uh, mechanism which may not be or might be off the, the beaten track. It may not be... Uh, um, uh, something that you can um, get a recall on your money through. Mm. So um, be care- yeah, be careful how you hand over, and that's really the same for because online fraud it, it's still occurring, isn't it? I mean, I don't know if it's ever going to go away, Rory. Well, it probably won't go away, um, and yeah, it is. Um, it, it is a feature, and it has become um, a, a, a sizable feature of our work, um, and. Uh, what people are reporting to us um, over the last several years, um, and again, it's it's um, you just look for the red flags um, is what we would be saying to people. Um, and uh, advice that I always think is 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 worthwhile checking is you know whoever you bank with, uh, whoever you do your business with, they nearly always have features on their websites now as to what they will never do. Yeah are ways in which they will never contact you. Um, and if you're familiar with those um, for whatever institution you're using yourself, um, anything outside of those channels, then, uh, you know, you can immediately just discard. Um, yeah. And, and, if, um, you're, and if, if you're sent an email or a text or a phone call or whatever it is, uh, you know, purporting to be from, from your bank or your mobile phone provider, check in with that company first. Just, you know, because in yep. 99% of cases, they won't be contacting you that way. All right, you want to talk about festival safety. It is that time of year where there's a lot of festivals. We've already seen a lot of festivals, but there's still many more of them uh, going on across this month and into uh, September. You just have general guidelines for people to stay safe at the festivals. Yeah, no, I suppose I'm probably thinking of... Um of the younger or uh, age group, uh, young adults um, who who are attending, and um, it's often the case that um, uh, you know buses are arranged, um, and um, uh, and they'll convey people to and from festivals. So yeah, it's just uh, um, in general, and having worked at festivals, um, the the you know everyone wants uh, organisers and guards like we just want people to get home safely and be safe while they're while they're there. So. Um, just the, the standard ones are obviously, you know, drink responsibly um, and um, drink drink alcohol responsibly. Planning the journey, particularly the journey home, um, I found um, at a number of festivals uh, after the buses have left and after the taxis have stopped working, um, you can still get several people that are hanging around at four o'clock in the morning um, and uh, they they have no way out of these uh, um, the towns, and often they're quite remote. Yeah. Um, and um, the temptation is to is to take to the road and walk, and it's just so dangerous to be doing that. Uh, so, I would just urge people to think uh, um, the journey down is is usually quite easy to secure. Just make sure that you have your journey home worked out as well. Um, and that you're keeping an eye on your friends, um, so you know that you don't want anyone getting separated, um, or if there's someone that should be on the bus that isn't on the bus, uh, um, or whatever, wherever, however you're getting home. Yeah, if so you that, go in um, a group of six, then come home in a group of six. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just kind of uh, general guidelines around uh, around that area that um, I'd ask okay. to keep, uh, keep everybody uh, safe. Okay, theft from yeah. uh, vehicles, unfortunately. Again, this is an ongoing crime. Yeah, it's an ongoing crime. Um, there was a few um, last week that happened in around the, the, the River Stick area. Um, so what um, what it appears to us is that the people who are doing this are targeting unlocked cars. So um, just that stock advice applies. Lock your cars and don't have anything valuable. Uh, don't leave anything valuable in the cars. So um, just that it was uh, early hours of the morning, we believe that these uh, happened. So um, uh, again, it's just getting that across to people. Yeah. And even even though it's parked in the driveway or right outside your front door, you think it's safe, always, always lock and leave nothing, absolutely nothing of value. I mentioned uh, earlier, Rory, that uh, Brown Thomas have opened up their Christmas shop uh, today on the 17th of August. So I suppose we can talk about shorter evenings. Uh, They are going to be upon us before we we know it. Make sure that you're visible when you're out. Yeah, um, I suppose one of the things that is a feature of this is that maybe we still have our summer um, uh, clock uh, um, working and that if we leave the house, um, we just, it, 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 the darkness may catch up on us um, sooner than we would have thought. So uh, um, just having that in mind if uh, if you're going out and if you're walking along roads um, and, and being visible um, at all times is, is very important, uh, but particularly um, during uh, periods of darkness. So um, as, as always, um, high visib- visibility best um, to be worn and uh, just make sure motorists can see you. Okay, and obviously there's still a lot of agricultural, large agricultural machinery out on the roads. We have to share the roads with these people as well. So a bit of patience and just awareness. That's exactly it. Exactly. Um, I know I would have even seen over the last number of nights there that the the, the agricultural machines were working uh, well into the night. Um, So they have their job to do. Um, Yeah, from the perspective of sharing roads, just... Uh, being aware and and having that bit of patience. Yeah, because people act very stupidly about trying to overtake something and I I often feel, particularly when you're in West Cork, uh, a lot of tourists around, uh, thankfully, at this time of year and they don't know the roads, they don't know if they decide to overtake something that there's a very twisty bend coming up, for example. So you just need to be really careful, especially on those roads that you don't drive very often and that you're not aware of. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, so uh, yeah, look. The, again, it's kind of standard stuff. Leave enough time for uh, for journeys. Um, but look, I understand that there's occasions where um, uh, find themselves being, being caught for time, or just becoming impatient, having been behind uh, a, a, a large vehicle for a number of kilometres. Um, but look, it, it's never worth it um, to, to take a risk, and the consequences can be, uh, you know, life changing for people. Yeah. Okay, and finally, roadworks around Bandon. Yeah, again, I suppose it's just that the roadworks have been ongoing and, and in several areas, um, and all down to Clonacilty Road as well, um, that um, they are ongoing and they will continue to be ongoing. Um, people would have noticed that there's, um, there's changes to, to uh, footways um, for pedestrians 
asking people to remain patient and uh, uh, just as because pedestrians are are being rerouted through um, through different kind of corridors now while the roadworks are going on. Um, just be aware of, uh, for for motorists to be aware of that. Okay, listen, thank you for that, uh, Rory. Have a good week and thanks Go for on. joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Sergeant Rory Gunn. He's based at Abandoned Garda Station uh, with this week's uh, Garda File. And, and I mentioned in the coming out of news at 11, how sad it was to hear of that little um, boy who uh, sadly passed away, the eight-year-old boy who uh, was, he was knocked down or knocked off his bike by a car. It was last Saturday morning on the Cork Road in Carrigaline, initially taken to CUH and then he was transferred to Tempest Street Children's Hospital. Unfortunately, his family have announced that he passed away uh, yesterday evening. It's just so heartbreaking. Just knowledge, a couple of people have been on saying so sad to hear about that uh, child's death, his poor fam- family. But somebody wants to point out, and, and I should have mentioned it at the time when, when I spoke about it, let's not forget the driver uh, either. It must be just desperate for the driver because nobody sets out on a Saturday morning morning to drive wherever you're going, going on to do a bit of shopping, going to work, going home from work. I don't know why, why, what, where the person was going in the car, but nobody sets out to get involved in an accident like that. And particularly where a little boy dies, it's just so, so sad. So thank you. And just to acknowledge that, I should have acknowledged it uh, earlier. And then I had a text in from a listener in Ballyhay who was wondering, did anybody have an explanation for the helicopters. This texture says four helicopters passed over Ballyhay village altogether. It was at about 20 to 6 yesterday evening. Now they said it was a lovely sight but it was just the noise from them was ferocious and the listener was wondering, did anybody know why it happened? Well, John Paul tells me yesterday at 4.40, that would have been an hour a good hour before they were spotted in Ballyhay, there was a helicopter, seems to have been a private helicopter, that left uh, Hedford West Airport, or Hedfordshire West Airport, which is in Pembrokeshire in Wales. And that helicopter flew over the Ballyhay area an hour later. So that was one of the helicopters. Also at the time, John Paul checked on the flight radar, there was a Coast Guard helicopter flew over the region also. Well, that's only two helicopters. This listener is adamant that they saw four, but one was definitely the Coast Guard and another a private helicopter out of an airport in Pembrokeshire in Wales. And we're trying to find out what were the four helicopters who passed over Ballyhay Village at 20 to 6 yesterday evening. What were they all about? Well, Mary is a lady in the know. She said the helicopters you're talking about, they were flying in Broadford in West Limerick. Four private helicopters passed over Mary's house yesterday evening. They were after coming from Adair Manor. They were they're playing golf and they were heading to Trilly. They were tourists. So it was out of a dare manor was where they were going. Private helicopters, isn't it the way to travel? The good times are back for, for some, for sure. Thank you for that, Mary. <laughs> At least we found out for once and for all. Because we had all kinds of conspiracy theories going on, including somebody, and I didn't read out the text, who was claiming there were UFOs. <laughs> there were not UFOs. They were tourists, probably American tourists, maybe in a dare manor heading down to uh, Chile. Maybe they're heading down to the festival because the Rose Julie Festival is kicking off uh, today. Now, before I get to your thoughts and comments that are coming in on various topics we've been discussing today, my jaw dropped when I read this comment. This was a call that came in from Mary, one of our listeners, to uh, John Paul. Mary got her phone bill uh, in 
and normally phone bills, you know, you, it's a standard amount. So you kind of always know how much your phone bill is going to be. Well, our Mary got a bit of a shock when she opened up her phone bill because it was much higher than what it normally is. So she went and looked to check out what's going on and why is my phone bill? Because we're all on these bundles now. So no matter how many calls you make, you know, it's the, the set price. There might be might be one or, or two extra things you had to pay for. But generally speaking, the phone bill will remain at the same. So when she looked down through her bill, she noticed that she had occasion where she needed to ring directory inquiries she was looking for somebody's number so she rang 11811 now she said she uh, was waiting for an operator the number connected and then she was waiting for an operator but it took 7 minutes and 29 seconds for an operator to come on to Mary, Mary was able to say looking for such and such number and then obviously the person uh, gave her the number for that call, that one call she was charged €26.98 €26.98 to ring up an operator to find out somebody's telephone number. She said her bill is normally 40 to 50 euro, but the bill came in this month and it was 80 euro. So she said, could you give out a word of warning to people to please be very careful if they're ringing 11811 directory inquiries. So I checked out to see what, because I remember when that got introduced. Do you remember back in the good old days, it used to be free to ring directory inquiries. And of course, the, I, one of the reasons that I think it went onto this pay model was to do with the fact that very few people were ringing directory inquiries. Most people, particularly with the advent of the internet, you can get you know you can get most numbers now online. I can't tell you. I mean, certainly here at work, back in the good old days, we'd have always been ringing directory inquiries, looking for somebody's number. Or another great trick that we always used to use, and I don't know if John Paul still does it. If you were looking to get a telephone number of somebody in a locality, ring the local post office, postmistress. Postmasters were always great. They'd always know who you were talking about. Or if they didn't, they'd know somebody who was a cousin of that person and they'd give you the telephone number. But those days are long since gone. Anyway, as I say, I can't tell you when I would have last rang directory inquiries. So I checked it. At 11811, the connection fee alone is €1.49. So as soon as you dial the number and you connect, you're charged €1.49. And then, as Mary has discovered, the clock starts ticking on charges after that. Thereafter, all calls are charged at €1.49 per minute. So they charge you to connect and then the clock starts ticking €1.49 per minute and that's how Mary's bill came out at €26.98. That is crazy. And I think, and I'm, and, and I'm assuming I'd have to do the maths on it because Mary's bill is even more expensive. I think if they, don't they say to you, can I put you through? And if they put you through, I'm sure there's an additional charge for that call then as well, as far as I know. But be very, very careful if you're ringing directory uh, inquiries. Mary has certainly learned the hard way. 0818 103 103. Now, a flurry of calls and texts and WhatsApps in from people when I mentioned one of our listeners who is having a bit of a problem trying to get an appointment, even the date of an appointment with a consultant in the city. She went to the consultant back in February of this year. The consultant said to her on that day that you'll be hearing back or I'll be calling you back within five to eight weeks. Had heard nothing, decided to ring them up uh, to find out what was going on. This 
secretary answering the phone was very short on the phone with this uh, listener and uh, told her she wasn't ring back again and that when she gets to the top of the list you'll be called and she was just kind of not not nice certainly not polite uh, to her and actually kind of left this caller a little bit shaken to the point that she's afraid now to ring up again even though it's six months since she was in with the initial appointment back in February and was just looking for advice and saying has it happened to anybody else is, is this particular listener just unlucky in the consultant's second that uh, she got. Anyway, some of your calls and comments coming in. Kate said, very same thing happened to me as happened to that person who has contacted you. And uh, so Kate says, if that person rings the main hospital reception and asks to be put through to the central appointment office, they'll give her all of the details and we'll be able to give her a date or a rough date. And Kate, I don't think that's going to work in this case because the listener is private. I think the central appointment office is for public patients. I don't think it operates for private patients. Maybe it does. Maybe somebody can clarify that. I know generally speaking, when it's a public appointment it's, it's through the private secretary you have to go, not through the central appointment office. Maybe somebody can clarify that for us. Amanda was listening to me in Douglas saying we had a very same situation for our mother. And when I rang or when my sister decided to ring, guess what? They wouldn't talk to either of us. They would only speak to my mother all to do with GDPR. All we were looking for was similar. We were looking for a date for an appointment. So a family member ringing. Patricia, as you suggested, is not going to help either. I hadn't thought about that actually. Yeah, so that I thought somebody else could uh, ring up. The only thing is you can do the famous trick that I do, ring up letting on you the person. Kind of works as well. 0818 Hi Patricia, tell that lady to email or write directly to the consultant if she doesn't want to ring the secretary back. She can always say in her email or in her letter that she didn't have a very positive experience with the secretary the day she rang many months ago. People shouldn't get away with speaking or being cranky to members of the public like that. I know you get a hop when you get that kind of a response, especially when you're not expecting it, but they need to be told there and then on the phone call that you can't speak to me like that and you know how dare you say to me I won't ring back I'm a private patient and even if you're a public patient I'm entitled to ring back to find out when my appointment is due at the end of the day you can get a bit brave because there's a telephone line between you and them and that's from Katrina thanks for that uh, Katrina Hi Patricia that lady who needs an, a medical follow up could possibly against another suggestion email the secretary if she doesn't want to speak with her on the phone now my own story I had a similar issue with the secretary at a Cork private hospital. She rang to arrange for my husband to have a procedure and her first words in what I felt was quite an aggressive tone. I'm ringing about husband's name. I need your credit card details. I need them immediately. I was taken aback and I said, well, if you don't identify yourself and advise me what this is about, I assume you're a scammer and I will simply hang up. She ranted that if I didn't give her my credit card details immediately, then she would cut my husband's name off the consultant's list. I then proceeded to ask her for her telephone number and I said, I will call you back. I had another rant for her. I asked her to stop being so rude or I said I will report you. When my husband phoned back with the credit card details and by the way that was after I checked the authenticity of the number. Well done. She was sweetness and delight. Stand up to bullies and state that you will complain them as often that will make them change their tune. Uh, Well done. And you did all the right things making sure that the number that they gave you was the correct number as well. So well done. You weren't going to be scammed out of uh, anything. But interesting wasn't 
Elizabeth Howe completely changed her tune at the thought that she might be uh, reported. Micah says, Patricia, listening to the story of the lady who got the abuse from the consultant's secretary, I think her best bet, if she's not able to face that horrible secretary again, is to contact her own GP. Yeah, Michael, I made that suggestion as well, as they'll be able to get answers to her situation. And he also says, I doubt if getting a family member to ring, they won't even talk because of the GDPR rules and regulations. And Michael does say, I hope she gets answers and I hope she gets answers uh, soon. And listening to this very long WhatsApp from Liz to say, hi, Patricia. We moved here last year from the US of A. OMG. Oh, my God. I can't believe how rude people are. I totally understand where this lady is coming from. They are rude and they're obnoxious. My husband has been waiting since May of this year as well to get his knee repaired. They are like attack dogs working in the front. I don't understand what they are trying to protect. I'm now questioning, is this an Irish thing? The consultants and the surgeons in the US of A would be glad to speak to anyone. They'd even pick up the phone and call you. You'll have a long time waiting for a consultant list to call you here. Anyway, uh, who do they think they are? They're, and this is the secretaries. They're glorified secretaries. That's all. Just because they're medical secretaries, they're still glorified secretaries. And it's we are in the same situation that we are also paying. We are private patients. I called a number of them. Rude, rude, rude. And when you go in to see the consultant, they're even worse. This particular one in Cork nearly hit me with the card machine when we were finished. My husband was finishing up the forms and the next thing she was pushing the card machine in my face looking for payment. Sorry to be so long-winded. And it's not just those secretaries, it's everyone is rude. Rude Irish people. I'm sorry to say nobody has manners today. That woman should get on that phone and talk with confidence and get her information. At the end of the day, it's her private medical information and that's from Liz and Liz says when she was discussing with the husband what we were talking about on the radio the husband reckons that a lot of the consultants and surgeons in this country are simply spoilt. They take too many holidays and many of the consultants are actually on holidays and will be on holidays until September and that could be one of the reasons why people are not getting appointments during the summertime well they're entitled to take holidays I don't know how what length of time uh, they take off but I'm saddened to think Liz that you've come from America, come to live here and I'm saddened to think that you think Irish people are so rude. I mean, obviously, there are rude people. We all come across rude people. But I like to think that the majority of us are not rude and that we do have manners and that we are nice, kind people. But that's uh, Liz's view on Ireland today. Rude, rude people. But certainly some of the the, the, the secretaries in the hospital and in the consultants uh, and in doctor surgeries, I don't know what it is. I don't know whether they're stressed, whether they're very busy. But we constantly hear from people who feel that they're not treated well when they ring up about a medical appointment. And I always feel for people, I mean, if you're ringing on a medical appointment, you're vulnerable anyway because you're obviously not well or you know, you've know you got a child who's not well. So I think you're already vulnerable. And all you need to hear on the other end of the line is a little bit of kindness and understanding and a little bit of empathy and compassion. And even if the person can't say, I have an exact date for you, just kindness to say, look, as soon as your name moves up, I promise you I will get back to you and, you know, don't be worried, you're still on the list. But like to be barking down the phone at somebody and then to have the cheek to say, don't you dare ring back again, you'll get called when, you, when your turn comes. That simply isn't, isn't good enough, be it in the public sector or in the private sector. 0818 103 103. 
Uh, John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp at 2086-2103-103 with a reminder that we are looking for pet questions because Jane, our resident vet, will be joining us in this hour. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Kildallery Community Development, their local lotto draw is on this afternoon at four. That's in the local community office. Jackpot of 9,900 euros. Euro. And there's a used clothes collection going on in Gaggan Hall again this evening, 6.30 to 8, with a reminder that the community barbecue tickets, €15 Euro each per adult, they're on sale at the used clothes uh, collection and the barbecue is the 27th of uh, August. And walking in the footsteps of your ancestors is a beginner's guide to family history in Cork. And Rory Bunce of Cork County Library is hosting a talk on tracing your family history between 12 and 2pm tomorrow Friday in the mill in Castletown Roach if you want more information you can call 086 4404050 and tomorrow Friday in Churchtown and again on Saturday in Charleville the official opening by Councillor Ian Doyle of the Wood Museum Ballygrace in Churchtown. It's followed by a talk on the life of times of Sean Cloric MacDonald. Refreshments will be served afterwards. And there'll be a coffee morning in Donnerail Court Tea Rooms next Saturday between 10 and 12 noon. And proceeds are going to Dogs for the Disabled. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Some of your thoughts still coming in on hospital appointments and uh, dealing with some tricky secretaries and says, uh, my daughter is waiting two years for an appointment at uh, CUH uh, that, and that's a completely different topic that we could spend days on people waiting on appointments on the public list. And then someone else says, Patricia, I actually feel sorry for that lady uh, ringing about her appointment. I too would find that situation very difficult and my anxiety would be uh, sky high. Yeah, you see, that's the problem. It's all been good for people. You know, some people are very confident about standing up like that great text in from that lady talking about it when her husband was there and that she stood up to the person. And then when the husband rang back, nice as pie, all sweetness and light on the phone. But not everyone has that confidence uh, to do it. And I, I still make the point that when it's to do with anything to do with a medical appointment, you're you're just vulnerable anyway, you know, because you're not feeling well or you're worried about something. So there is a kind of a vulnerability attached uh, to it. And Amitya, thank you for your text. Amitya's down listener says, thoughts with that listener who's having difficulty with the doctor's secretary. Just politely say, I've just recorded this conversation and the tone will change instantly. I wish her good luck. That's not, that's not a bad uh, tip. Thank you for that. Now, Jim has been on to us. Bro. Jim is stuck in traffic on the Clonakilty to Bandon Road. I hope by the time I'm reading out this uh, message from you, Jim, that you're, uh, you're motoring and underway. He said, at one section of the road near Bandon the works are underway now they're laying water pipes so he's well aware of that there's a stop and go system in place but he said now there's another stop and go system when you head towards Bandon he says it's near the turn off for Kilcolman National School and Jim contacted John Paul to say can you find out what those roadworks are about because to have two stop and goes what's happening is the traffic he said is backed up uh, as far as Bandon and then you get caught again on the next section of the road where there's further 
uh, stop and go uh, going on. And, and and I know that a lot of this work, they tried to get it done and out of the way before the schools go back. Because could you imagine if they had two of those stop and go systems in place and parents were trying to drop and collect children from school? It would be an absolute nightmare. Anyway, we're on to Cork County Council. We're just to try and find out what is the second set about because Jim says he knows what the first set is about. They're laying uh, water pipes. 0818 103 103. If you have any uh, questions for Jane, our resident vet, can you get those into us, please? Because we will be talking with Jane soon. You can text her, WhatsApp them into me, 0862 103 103. We were doing card versus cash earlier uh, this morning. And Breathe says, Patricia, listening to you about cash. Myself and my sister travelled up to Dublin on the train. We were going out for a day out to the horse show. Wonderful day out. We had lovely homemade sandwiches with us. So really looking forward to the tea trolley arriving so we could have a nice cup of tea to wash down our homemade sandwiches. Card payments only. Breathe says, I was livid as I had purposely put change in my purse in order to pay for the tea. I asked, why can't I pay in cash? And the person said, company policy. Now, she said it was a lovely lady who was pushing the tea, coffee trolley and the sandwiches and the other cakes and whatever else they sell. And she said they were lovely. And Breather says, I accept it wasn't her fault. She wasn't going to have a rant, but it's annoying. that When they reintroduced the tea trolley and we were all delighted that they reintroduced the tea and coffee trolley, they did unfortunately say that it was going to be card only, which is is frustrating when you're not aware of it uh, for sure. And morning, Patricia, this might be a solution for people with the card versus uh, the cash. I use a prepaid card online. It's not a card connected to my bank account. Now, where I can, I do prefer to deal in cash, but we know there are some places like that. If you went on the train, you need to have uh, your card. So I use this prepaid card if only for security issues. The fraud connected to cards, unfortunately, is growing. Didn't we only mention it on our guard the file this morning? And it will grow the more cards are used. I think it's likely that fraud will increase. Have a pleasant day. And those prepaid cards are great because if you were to get scammed in some way, it's only the amount of money that you have on the prepaid cards. And it is a good suggestion for people who don't, you know, who don't, who are nervous about using cards and don't want it linked to their bank account for fear that they'd lose, they get caught up in some kind of a scam. So thank you for that. 0818 103 103. And just seeing as I mentioned Bank of Ireland um, earlier, and it was, of course, this time yesterday we were talking about people who withdrew drawn large sums of money that wasn't in their uh, bank accounts on a Tuesday evening. They are being warned, give it back. And the big worry is you could face damaged credit ratings. I heard Brendan Burgess, Brendan is the founder of the Consumer Forum, ask about money.com. And he said if people were caught up in a moment of madness on Tuesday evening, they need to go straight back in and lodge that money back into their accounts because if they don't they're going to have a damaged credit record. He said it's similar to people who had unpaid student loans or credit cards dating back to when they were young, suddenly discovering they have been blocked out of the borrowing market for things like a mortgage or if they go on to buy a car and that can be five, eight or ten years later. People who try to withdraw this money will essentially end up with a large unauthorised overdraft. Um, Brendan Burgess said while there may have been customers who had innocently made an ATM withdrawal and they were unable to access their balance. You know, somebody might have been taking out a hundred euro thinking, oh, I think I have a hundred in it, but they may only have had 
70 in it and of course the machine would have given them out the 100 but that would have been genuinely an accident because they wouldn't have been able to access uh, their balance balance but he said for those who tried to capitalize on it uh, he said that was pure unadulterated theft he's calling it out as theft now Bank of Ireland made an error but thousands of people tried to exploit it he said and thousands of people tried to rob money I actually heard Dermot Jewell who we often speak with from the Consumers Association uh, he's echoing those calls as well and says to people repay the money it is not your money now a number of political figures have come out and in particular criticising the presence of the Gardaí at the ATM machines I know for example Paul Murphy of uh, people before profit. He was one of the first uh, out and uh, he said, he suggested that the Gardaí were acting as a private security firm. Now, the Gardaí Siakona have come out and they said that they were aware of an unusual volume of activity at some ATMs around the country. They say, the Gardaí say they received in excess of 40 calls. Now, this is from members of the public and that was across four regional Garda control rooms and that was from 8 o'clock until midnight on Tuesday night and it was members of the public who were concerned at the level of public activity taking place and the crowds that were gathering at the ATMs but it also did include small now small number of uh, calls relating to public order incidents and one call in relation to an, an alleged assault and a, a robbery and they said then on a case by case basis local decisions were made depending on the public safety and the public order presence to members of Ingarda Shikona and that's how they decided which Gardaí were going to go uh, there. But I see Deputy Paul Murphy of People Before Profit, he's still not happy with that answer. He says serious questions need to be answered He by Ingarda Shikona here and he said, I think we ha- he wants questions answered by the Garda Commissioner. He wants to go all the way to the top to Drew Harris. He said, it certainly seems that in at least some cases the role of the Gardaí was to effectively shut down access to the ATMs. And he said, that looks to me as acting as private security for Bank of Ireland, effectively trying to protect them from ultimately a mistake that was made by the bank. It wasn't made by members of the public, but it doesn't look at this point in time as if it was the bank were contacting the Gardaí to say go out and man the, AT- the ATMs. It was just a volume of calls in for members of the public who were saying what's going on there you need to uh, check it out and as I did mention earlier the Irish Civil Liberties uh, group they're also uh, talking about it and they also feel that there are questions that uh, need to be answered because you know it is your civil right if it's your money that's inside in a bank inside an ATM machine then you you know you are allowed to withdraw the money and you shouldn't have a member from Gardaí to of stopping you taking the money out so they're looking into it as well and they're saying that uh, questions remain over the guard that monitoring of ATMs and that's from the Irish Council of uh, Civil Liberties 0818103103 no doubt we'll hear more about this particular story because I also know that the bank is going to be fined uh, Bank of Ireland is facing fines that could run to tens of millions of euro that's if the regulators find that the IT fiasco was a breach of banking standards and listen, the Bank of Ireland have had problems with their with their IT systems and they've already paid penalties in the past and it looks like they're going to be fined again so it's going to be a costly, costly day for Bank of Ireland. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Ministry of Veterinary Group where we're joined by our resident vet, Jane Pickett. Uh, good afternoon to you, Jane. 
Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Uh, questions still coming in. You can text or WhatsApp them to 0862 103 103. Anne has been on a small dog. Now, she doesn't state what kind of a dog it is, but it suffers quite a lot with constipation. What's the kind of long-term solution for a dog who suffers from constipation? Mm, constipation can be a really tricky one. And obviously, we never like to see our pets stressed out trying to something as basic as doing their poos though it is something that needs managing long term there are a number of different causes of constipation in dogs and cats now sometimes similar to us it it can just be dietary it can be that they're not getting enough fiber in their diet so there's not enough bulk to be able to let's say get things moving every day for them or it could be hydration related maybe they're not drinking enough water um those kind of things are something to discuss with your vet to have a deeper chat about what pet eat every day what's their lifestyle like because it could be a very simple fix what i will say though are there are a number of causes particularly in older pets of constipation and some of them can be actually related to how well the the last part of the gut moves things along um so sometimes we can have a hypomotile gut so not moving as much as it should do can happen in dogs a lot more common in cats where they get a larger kind of non-functional colon so the last little bit of the the gut so they become kind of a constipated they have a constipated appearance um so there are a number of things that can cause problems i suppose in dogs one of the most common things would be an obstruction um so whether that be let's say a a lump or a bump in an older pet that would be getting in the way of the poo coming out and sometimes that could be let's say for example in male dogs that can be related to the prostate and prostate enlargement is really common in older male dogs um but there can be a number of things going on some of them are very fixable very manageable with lifestyle adjustment and some of them i suppose depending on the situation might require more in-depth treatment or management or a deeper discussion with your vet. What I would say is that it's best if you've noticed this is a recurring pattern for your pet and not just a one-off, you really need to, to pop to the vet. Have a little think before you go about, well, how often is this happening? Is there anything around those periods that seems to be triggering off the constipation or is it something constant uh, and when did that start? Yeah. So you're kind of going into the vet. Have as that, much those, information. Those in your head. Yeah. Yeah, and have a good chat with your vet about the pattern. They'll probably need to do a full physical exam and it may be a case that they might need to have it feel in the general area to make sure there's no lump or bumps that might be getting in the way and might need dealing with. Um, it really depends on what's causing it as regards what the treatment might be, but most vets in that situation, unless there was an obvious uh, issue with the gut itself, sometimes will prescribe laxatives to help soften the stool, hydrate the stool and get things moving. But what I will say is it's probably best not to try something over the counter um, in our pets, so I know a lot of the time the temptation is to get get something from the pharmacist to use on your pet, and I, I really wouldn't recommend that. And I know there are lots of things available over the counter. I would really recommend going to your vet as a first protocol because the medications that we can prescribe for your pet as laxatives, we know are really effective in that species and we know they're dosing really effectively. But it also means that you're in safe hands, that if laxatives aren't appropriate for your pet, that you won't be going down the wrong way. So I'm really okay. clear. You're vet involved in this. Okay, and, and our apologies to anybody having lunch at the moment, but we're staying on bowel movements because another listener has the <laughs> opposite problem. Her eight-year-old Shih Tzu has very loose stools. And this is just something that's cropped up uh, the last couple of days. Is there anything I could give her? Do I need to be worried in any way? Okay. Um, I suppose 
loose stools over the course of a lifetime and um, dogs being dogs and dogs eating silly things can happen i think there's very few dogs out there that might have had a runny poo or two that said if it's happening for a number of days or if your pet seems in any way unwell in themselves that's the time to go to the vet it could be something simple similar to our constipation it could be something simple in dietary so has there been a diet change in the last few days or in the last few weeks something that might have upset the gut flora and caused them to create a looser stool or has your dog or cat eaten something really particularly special that might have really upset it? And the, the main culprits for that would be big fatty foods. Um, and I think with the fine weather we've had here, let's say that we might have all had the barbecues out if they've eaten something really fatty. Sometimes that can cause a looser stool afterwards, um, as well as lots of tummy pain. I wouldn't recommend it can be something like a little bug that they've picked up whether that be a bacteria or a virus similar to us you know sometimes we catch tummy bugs it could be something simple it may just need to run its course but same rules apply if it's going on for more than two days or if the pet seems in any way unwell then you need to get that checked out there are some rarer causes of loose okay we're having a problem uh, no we've lost uh, we've lost Jane there. Can I see if I can? Are you there, Jane? Are you back with us? I'm there. Yeah, you're you there. Sorry, yeah, you're back with us. You're saying that there, there can be some rare, some more serious issues for a loose stool. There can be. So we can have inflammation in the gut um, that can cause more serious problems with the gut or even lumps and bumps in the gut that can result in diarrhea so if it's something that's lasting for more than a few days it's really not something to be kind of ignored uh, i think it's a difficult thing to ignore anyway loose poo everywhere creates quite the mess but i just will be don't be tempted to just you know you know ignore it entirely particularly when you have a pet with a few years on the clock eight nine years old we'd fall into the kind of geriatric category it's really just best to get checked with vets so that we're not missing something early that we might be able to manage and help them out with now um, but as i say common things are common it's most likely a tummy upset yeah and it'll pass in, in a day or two okay mary mm-hmm. is on uh, her jack russell is due to have puppies soon great excitement in the house jane says uh our mary says how should i set up a safe space for her to have the puppies she shares the utility room with our female collie dog also is there any extra nutritional needs to help her through this pregnancy okay so congratulations on the imminent new arrivals what i will say is you're going to have your work cut out you know having having a litter of puppies is no mean feat both for the mum but also the household that you're raising them in so now is really the time before they arrive and you wise to still have some time on your hands to really get yourself informed so I suppose what I would suggest with starting off and creating a nice safe space is make sure it's big enough that the that your dog will be able to lie out fully and stretch its legs out fully on its side so that when she's whelping that she has a nice comfortable area but also when she is feeding the puppies that she has a nice area to stretch out in and that she's not cramped on top of the pups. Make sure it's really well padded and with nothing abrasive so nothing like saw chips or straw or anything like that. It needs to be nice comfy sheets, nice comfy beds okay but a nice big flat area is really really important. It's important to create some kind of an entrance to it as well not just just have it being in room so that if you're entering or exiting there's kind of a barrier between you and her and her puppies and she knows that you're not always going to be just going straight to her and that's one thing I'd suggest is really resist the temptation to interfere with mother nature unless you have to so once the puppies are out safely and they seem 
to be drinking, keep an eye on them, but from afar. Don't be tempted to go in and rub all the puppies and put your scent all over them, because that will disrupt the bonding experience. There's a lot of things to know about whelping. So what I'd suggest is that's a good start, but you really need to start reading some reputable. There's lots of information online, some good, some bad. Maybe have your own local vet so that they're aware that your dog is about to whelp and they'll be able to point you to some information either they have in-house or some that's available to them. Um, but really having a chat with your own vet, making everybody aware of the situation is critical, particularly if you if she's a first time mum and you're a first time uh, dog owner having having a litter of pups. It's also really important to make sure that they're fed a high calorie diet. So either a whelping diet from beforehand, so from right now, pretty much, um, or else a puppy food is a good substitute. But again, speak to your vet though, and, and kind of suitable for a, a soon to be new mother um, dog. But nutrition is super important to make sure they have enough energy themselves, but also enough energy to produce milk. So I think it's time to get reading, but best of luck. It's a very exciting time. Okay. Listen, Jane, thank you for that. Have a lovely week and we'll chat again next Thursday. You too. Thank Thanks you, for that. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street uh, Veterinary uh, Group. Just a couple of quick texts in. Hi, Patricia. I don't agree with Deputy Paul Murphy, who was against the Gardaí going out to defend the ATMs on Tuesday night. I'd like to congratulate the Gardaí for taking action to stop any criminality from taking place and to stop a run on the banks. It could have had a wider consequence for the finances of this country. Kind regards. That is from uh, Jerry. And uh, John, on waiting for a hospital appointment, uh, says, I met a neurosurgeon a year ago and last week I've got my follow-up appointment. It's for July 2024. The funny part is about it was it says, would you be available on that day? I had a good laugh about it thinking, how would I know what I'm going to be doing in July of 2024? That's where I've got to leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. We're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 for Friday's edition of the programme. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.